Um, but I did see Star Wars last night. We can talk about that for a while. Yeah, it's old news. Oh, man. I missed my chance. Now that Marco's seen it, it's old news. It's all downhill from there. Do you want to do some follow-up? Sure, we actually have some. One person who's not... I uh, this. I don't know if this person lives in Dubai or just knows about the Apple Store in Dubai, but I'm trying to think of a reason why this person is not like every single person in the United States uh, on vacation and not sending us any follow-up. Uh, but in episode 149, <laughs> we talked about the foliage walls and the Apple model store things from the 60 Minutes uh, television show. They showed like, oh, here's a... A store where we try out all the different ideas we have for Apple stores, and they had this one wall of the store that had plants, like real living plants, just sort of cascading down the wall. And I thought that would be funny if they actually put that in a store. Well, apparently they have. Uh, it's just supposed to show that everything they show in 60 Minutes has to be something that already exists, so that no secrets are revealed. Uh, and the Apple store in Dubai, they have a foliage wall. So there you go. That's super exciting. So that is a uh, definite reason to visit there. To just pet the foliage. Well, I wonder how that, like, <laughs> I mean, I guess they have to have people keeping the plants alive, but like, why don't we get foliage? If, if it's a good idea, why isn't it a good idea everywhere? Why is it only a good idea in the desert? I don't know. <laughs> uh, beats me. I, it struck me as a little weird, although I really did like, and I think, John, you had briefly mentioned, uh, mentioned this when we talked about it. I really liked the display case for all the cases, the iPhone cases, where the case is on the outside of what ends up being a drawer. So you grab the case and pull the case, and then there's a drawer of these cases behind it. That was a terrible word picture, but hopefully that makes sense. Um, I thought that was really clever, and I don't recall having ever seen that before. Someone did write in, I missed, I misplaced their either email or maybe it was a tweet, and said that those pull-out drawer things actually exist in stores too. So basically there's nothing in 60 Minutes that they showed you that doesn't already exist in an Apple store, which is not surprising. Not surprising, but a little bit sad. That's okay, though. All right, so uh, any other follow-up we need to talk about? That's it. Everyone's still on vacation, including including us. So not only California, but everyone is on vacation. Well, California is always on vacation. That is true. Uh, do you want to tell us about something that's awesome, Marco? We are sponsored this week by Backblaze. Go to backblaze.com slash ATP for simple online backup. Backblaze is the best online backup service I've used. Uh, it has over 150 petabytes of data backed up. Now, anybody can back up your data, but what about getting it back? Backblaze has restored over 10 billion files for their customers. You can access your data anywhere with Backblaze. They have iPhone and Android apps to access and share any of your files, plus a web interface if you need that. And this is not just for computer disasters. Now, you can actually just restore one file easily if you want to. So, for instance, if you're on a trip or if you need access to a file that's only on your home computer and you are somewhere else, you can just log into Backblaze with your phone or your computer and restore just one file. 25% of all their restores are just one file like this. If disaster strikes and you need everything back, you can just order a USB hard drive if you don't want to wait for the download. Or if you want to download it at all, you can do that too. Backblaze was founded by ex-Apple engineers. It has native apps that run natively on your Mac and PC. There's no Java, there's no runtime, anything like that. These are native, high-performing apps that run natively on Mac and PC. There's no add-ons, there's no gimmicks, there's no additional charges. Backblaze is just $5 a month per computer for unlimited, unthrottled backup. That's truly unlimited space. I use it, my wife uses it. We have something like 6 terabytes in Backblaze now, and we just pay 5 bucks a month per computer. Simple, unlimited, unthrottled online backup. 
Stop putting this off. It is way too important to protect your data. Start getting backed up today. You can get a free, no-risk, no-credit-card-required trial by going to backblaze.com slash ATP. Really do it today. Backblaze.com slash ATP. Thanks a lot for sponsoring our show. So the Christmas time has come and passed, and Casey has some new toys, ladies and gentlemen. It's exciting. So um, we have talked about the new Apple TV. I now have a new Apple TV. And now I will make everyone sit here and listen to my oh-so-outdated thoughts about the Apple TV. That's right. right. I'll talk about the Mac Pro later, so I'll get, I'll get you back. Oh, God. If you're serious, then then I'll, I will happily forgo the Apple TV talk if that means you will forgo the Mac Pro talk. Well, I have to tell you that about the new Mac Pro I got. Oh, dear God, I hope you're kidding. I don't have any alcohol nearby, so this is going to be a long night for me. Well, on a happier note, uh, set up via Bluetooth on my new Apple TV, flawless, no issues whatsoever. So let's just be a lesson, children, that you never actually do want to have the fear of missing out that I have a chronic case of, and you do actually want to wait just a little bit to get something new, because I had no problems with Bluetooth setup. I had no real problems with the remote app. Um... Although it took me a minute to realize that I needed to do the um, the software update in order to get it, if memory serves. Uh, speaking of software update at 7 o'clock, I think this was Christmas Day, 7 o'clock in the evening on Christmas Day. Flawless. No issues. Uh, I connected via Ethernet, which might have made things a lot easier, uh, but that was really nice. Um, oh, that's what it was. It wasn't that the software update screwed me up for the remote app. I actually did take notes. I just didn't read far enough. It took me a while to remember that the remote app is paired to your home sharing account. And I had not yet set up my home sharing account in the Apple TV, even after I'd done the update and all that. So for the life of me, I couldn't understand why the remote app wouldn't see the Apple TV. And then I forget how I figured it out. But somehow or another, I realized, oh, no, I, I need to sign into home sharing. And so once I did that, that, um, that worked no problem, which was really nice. The control receiver, um, or the, 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 the remote in general, having a Bluetooth remote is is wonderful. I've, I've learned that from the Fire TV stick. But it's really great having that Bluetooth remote on the Apple TV as well. I also really, really liked, and maybe we talked about this and I just had a brain fart or something, but I really liked that it gave me the option of instead of controlling volume on my TV via HDMI CEC or whatever magic it uses, I could program an IR remote that it would use it would emit that same ir to to change a different thing's volume which is exactly what i needed to do because i have my receiver doing the the speakers and all that and so i had the remote learn my receivers you know ir profile or whatever you want to call it and that worked no problem and so now the volume controls the receiver which is really awesome i didn't even know that was a thing i didn't like that i had no idea how much battery power the remote has. And I, at some point or another, I saw some dialogue or something that said, oh, we'll tell you when the remote needs charging, which is an Apple thing to do, and that's fine. But it was weird that I couldn't even see it when I went digging into the remote setting screens. Uh, I didn't like, and I don't like, that there's no native Spotify app. Yes, I am aware that there is such a thing as AirPlay. That is what I've been doing with my Apple TV for a long time now. But it seems to me like there's no reason why I couldn't, you know, select songs or do what ha- whatever in a native app or just have the have some sort of scenario wherein the Spotify app on my phone controls an instance of it on the TV, because that's the way Spotify works is I can control the the playback 
from my computer from the Spotify app on my phone. And it's kind of like the remote app works. And it's really, really awesome. And I'd like to not have to have my phone be beaming all that data to the Apple TV when it could just do that on its own. And on a final note, surprising precisely no one. Oh my God, you guys, Plex is so good. It's so good. It's worth the cost of admission just for Plex. But to that end, I have like four apps on this thing. I have Plex, I have Netflix. I think I put the ESPN app on there and I think that might be it. And so I'm not really seeing what's what's so great about the App Store yet, with the exception of Plex, of course. And But th- there's been no other killer app that I've thought to myself, man, I really, really, really want to download whatever. Well, to be fair, I mean, like the, the kind of device that it is where, you know, this is like this TV connected box. I mean, how many apps do most people really use in that kind of context? I mean, to me, like it is useful to have a large selection of apps but to any one person any one user of this device they might only ever use two to four apps and that might be perfectly fine and enough for them you know it just like for you it might be plex and netflix yeah, yeah. for me it might be like you know uh, you know a game and netflix and maybe i probably won't use plex i might you know i i will use the itunes store stuff and then maybe down the road i might get hbo um now go whichever one is the one that doesn't use cable <laughs> that you know one of those like you know it's like it's the kind of thing and and if everything works well which is still debatable but if everything works well then i think that's enough you know you don't need it is it isn't a phone you know you don't need to be doing tons of different apps all the time on your tv i think most people are going to pick like three or four at, at most you know so wouldn't it be a good enough device and a valuable purchase even if you never use any other apps for it than what you use now? I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, well, why am I, I don't know, not bummed out, but I can't think of a better way to describe it, but why am I, you know, a little disappointed that I don't have 305 apps on this thing that I was really excited about? And you know what I think a part of it is, is that it looks so paltry and silly compared to the prior gen Apple TV, which had like, what is it, 40 or 50 apps and new ones just spawning like rabbits constantly. But to be fair, you're exactly right that I really never used any of those. And so in the end of the day, it was really clutter. But because it feels like I have fewer things now, it it feels worse, even though in reality, it's actually probably a lot better. You should put some uh, some other like sort of staples on there. Like I think you should probably put the YouTube app on there, and maybe does Amazon have like free video? Maybe the Amazon Video one if they have some things for free, or if you have Amazon Prime. I, no, I I don't think there is the Amazon Video app. That's the, that's kind of the whole point of that whole thing. No, I I used the Siri thing recently where I. I, I think you have to say show me. I don't know. It sounds so dumb to say show me, but I said show me, and then spoke a movie title, and I was impressed by two things. One that it actually transcribed what I was saying as I spoke it. Oh, three things. Two, that it properly title-cased the title of the movie in real time <laughs> as, as I spoke it. Wait, which proper title casing? The, just, you know, the regular one. So like, did it capitalize prepositions and articles in the middle of the title and stuff like that? Oh, uh, it doesn't matter. It was, it was my son wanted to see the Maze Runner, so all those words are capped. Right. But I said, show me the maze runner. And the was capital, maze was capital, and, our, and you know, in real time as it, as it spat it out. So that was impressive. And three, it gave me a bunch of options for where to watch it. One of which was, because I was, if I had done it, let me put it this way, if I had done it with the old Apple TV, I would have been like, we don't have the maze runner. So let me just look to see if it's available on iTunes and either buy it or rent it based on how likely I think 
we as a household are to want to watch this again. But instead, I said, show me the Maze Runner, and I put it down there as an option, and I clicked on it, and it was available on HBO Go. So I just played it for free. And so that's that's a pretty flawless victory for the new Apple TV over the old one because it took less time because I just picked up the remote and spoke into it. It did the right thing, and it let me watch for free, uh, you know, because I already pay for HBO. It didn't have to go uh, rent it from iTunes. So thumbs up there. Yeah, something I haven't tried but I'd really like to, and I, I just didn't think about it until you said that, is, you know, can I get into my Plex library through Siri from like the home screen. And I believe there's APIs that allow that to happen, but I don't have the faintest idea whether or not Plex supports it. Yeah, I had some Plex, uh, a couple of run-ins with Plex. I was trying to watch, I forget I was watching, trying to watch something that I that I had available in many different ways. And my, my TV, due to weirdness of HDMI and misguided attempts at copy protection. If I play through the DLNA client on my television, very often it only wants to output like stereo down to my receiver. It won't, even though it'll be fed 5.1 from my DLNA server in the basement, that 5.1 goes into my television, but it never gets to leave. What comes out the back of it instead <laughs> is like, even though it's on the audio return channel. But anyway, I fought with it for a while. And like, bottom line is, if it goes, if I have my, the television itself, the smart TV feature do it, Sometimes I don't get the high-quality audio. So I'm like, well, this video has high-quality 5.1 audio. I want to get that directly. But I didn't want to turn on the PlayStation, which also would have worked because it's noisy. So I said it's time for the Apple TV to do it. And then I did like a search, like, is there a simple DLNA client for Apple TV? And there are a bunch of them. But I said, you know what, let me try Plex because I have the Plex server set up on, on Synology. So I did, and the thing was there. And for whatever reason... It just wouldn't play off of the Synology. I don't know if the Synology couldn't transcode it because it was too high a bit rate or didn't understand the codec or something. Uh, but then I remembered, like, I have Plex all over the place. So I just started Plex on my wife's new iMac, pointed it at the same, you know, I had already had it set up there. I just mounted the Synology there. And my wife's iMac had no problem transcoding it, and I played it from there. So Plex kind of came through for me there, like, halfway. I mean... It was it was flexible enough that if it didn't work off of my NAS, I could just run it on the much more powerful Mac, and that did work. So, kind of thumb sideways there. But anyway, it let it let me <laughs> it let me play the video I wanted to play and the quality I wanted with five point one without having to hear a fan. So that's good. Yeah, and it's funny because I moved the now old and busted Apple TV from the family room to the bedroom, and I had on. Uh, like MTV Unplugged or something like that this morning. I forget specifically what it was, but I was... I hope it was the Alice in Chains. That's the best one. Uh, no, I don't think I have that one. I'm sure whatever one it was, you would judge me for, and, and it, we don't need to go into that. We'll, we'll save that for the after show. No, many of them are very good, including the Seal one that you gave me that, that I don't think is available legally anywhere. I believe that's right. And uh, and that was one of them that we watched. It was an MTV Unplugged morning. Maybe we can argue about that in the after show, since that appears to be what we do these days. Yeah. I mean, everyone everyone loves the Nirvana one, and the Nirvana one is very good, mm. but I think the Alice in Chains one is better. Yeah, I feel like I've heard it at some point, but not any time recently, so I, I should take a note to... Uh to listen to that again but anyway so i was trying to the point of the matter is i was trying to play plex from uh onto the old apple tv which was wired via ethernet now is wi-fi and is the way the crow flies so to speak through the house <laughs> probably like 15 to 20 feet away from my um my airport ex extreme 
now granted that's through like two or three walls and oh my god the new apple tv i don't know if it's because of ethernet i don't know if it's because i'm not doing airplay hop i'm sure it's a combination of both but it was so much nicer watching this stuff on the new apple tv than it was airplaying from the plex app on the old apple tv anyway but so yeah i'd say uh at least one thumb probably two thumbs up for the new apple tv uh the the plex experience just is everything to me and it's and it's wonderful i mean there's a couple of minor issues i have here and there but but overall really really like it do you like the i think the plex ui on apple tv looks plain to me like i know on plex you can pick like a background for the things then they have all these you know background images that people have made and i remember the the mac plex uh, client had all these fancy backgrounds and the ui looked all different the apple tv one it's kind of boring especially if you view by folder i use plex by the way to watch uh, harmony's Despecialized editions uh, my parents wanted to see the uh, the first three Star Wars movies before going to see the seventh. Uh, not not the first three episode one, two, and three guys. Relax. <laughs> uh, a New Hope, Empire, and and uh, Jedi. And I wanted to show them Harmony. And it was the same situation. I could play it off my PlayStation, but then you'd have to hear the PlayStation fan. So, and I wanted to get all you know the the, the multi channel sound and everything. And so uh, Plex to the rescue again. It could it could play them, and it played them correctly, and I didn't have to hear a fan. But when you view by folder and went into my little Star Wars folder and navigated to it, it was kind of boring looking. It was just like a list of words and, you know, a cover art off to the left. I don't know. I, I, I just expected Plex to be fancier. Like, not, not that I demand it to be fancy, but uh, I don't know. It, it seemed... It seemed to be not up to the standards of the other Plex clients I can remember. Same thing with the PlayStation 4 client, uh, by the way, but that's the least of my concerns. If it just gets to the video and plays it, I'm happy. So uh, Plex is rising in esteem in this household. (laughs) No, I agree with you. I think that the UI is good. I would not say it's great. And I think it could definitely use some massaging here and there. However, it is so much a better experience than having to have some like iOS device sitting around airplaying everything that it even with the world's ugliest UI, it could still in many ways do no wrong in my book because, oh my goodness, it's so nice having that natively on the Apple TV now. You should share your Plex library with me. I would be happy to. Uh, I should do that. <clears throat> uh, okay, or both of you. Um, I don't think I can share it with you because my, my, uh, my NAS is not exposed to the internet at all. So I don't think I can share with you, but that doesn't matter. I just want to get your stuff. Are you running Plex on your Synology? Yeah. Really? You can do that? Well, yeah, you can. But I found it was whenever I tried to transcode anything live, it was a disaster. Well, that's what I was saying. I couldn't I couldn't watch the one of the things I wanted to watch just didn't play at all. And I had to use the iMac. But Harmony's Specialized Editions played fine. Hmm. You know, I think what it might be is if you have it it formatted as like... I'm going to get this wrong, video nerds. I apologize. But if you have it in some Apple-friendly format, let me just be vague. No, I I do not pre-transcode anything. Like, so whatever I downloaded the Harmies as, that's what they are. I refuse to, like, throw them into handbrake and reconvert them because then you're you're going double lossless, right? So if it won't play exactly as it was downloaded, then I find something else to play it. Completely agree. I've lamented in the past that the Synology that we all have, which is an 1813+, is does not have a quick enough processor to do transcoding and a lot of people when i've you know complained about this in the past have said oh we'll just transcode everything and make it all in you know whatever magical apple format i i need and i completely agree john that's just a bunch of work whether or not you double you know you have the double lossy conversion it's just so much work that i just don't want to have to do and and i found my synology does transcode a whole bunch of stuff 
on the fly in a reasonable speed for me. Like it was, all it needs to do is be able to keep up with real time. And it can in a lot of cases, but other cases it just doesn't matter. That's, that's why I threw the iMac at it, which, you know, didn't break a sweat can transcode anything on the fly. Cause it's super duper fast and makes my Mac pro feel bad. <laughs> and that's why I have my old platter driven uh, MacBook Pro sitting on constantly. I probably never use this thing if it wasn't for the fact that it is my Plex server. Um, so yeah, so I will. Uh, will I'll invite you guys after the fact to uh, to share to see my Plex stuff, and so you can stream all of the all the things that I have legally. Well, totally. Uh, well, I mean, you can only stream it; you can't download it. Um, I'd like to talk about another gift I got, but do you want to talk about, else, about something else that's awesome, or do you want me to just keep on trucking? We are also sponsored this week by Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. The mattress industry has inherently forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. Casper mattresses provide two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, that come together for just the right sink, just the right bounce, giving you better nights and brighter days. This is an obsessively engineered mattress made right here in America and offered to you at a shockingly fair price. Mattresses can cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost only between $500 for a twin, up to $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. Now, Casper understands that buying a mattress online can have consumers wondering how this is possible, whether it's a risk, what if they don't like it. This is completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and painless free returns within a 100-day period. It's that simple. Now, if you just lie in a bed in a showroom for a few minutes, you really have no idea whether you're going to like it or not. Casper lets you sleep on it in your own home for up to a 100 days. And if you don't like it, you call them up and they will arrange for a free painless return for you. Casper understands the importance of truly trying out a mattress that in reality you spend a third of your life on. Check it out today. These are mattresses once again with just the right sink, just the right bounce with a combination of latex foam and memory foam for better nights and brighter days. Try it out today with free delivery and painless returns. These are made in America, high quality engineered mattresses. Go to casper.com slash ATP. Now you will get $50 towards any mattress purchased from the URL. Casper.com slash ATP to get $50 towards any mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to Casper for sponsoring our show once again. All right. So the other thing that I received this uh, Christmas, which I know everyone is so excited about the accidental look at me in a humble bragging podcast, is uh, Aaron got me a new Retina Pad Mini. Uh, she got me an iPad Mini 4 with uh, with Retina and cellular, and I am really into this device. I've always loved my iPad Minis. Um, my I've, This is my fourth iPad I had. The original, I had the... Um, the iPad 3, which was the first with the Retina, which is what you are still rocking, John. Is that right? Yeah, still. It's it's getting long in the tooth, man. I don't know how long I can keep it up. It's getting heavy in the tooth. Yeah, too. Um, then I had the original, um, original Retina Mini and now the iPad Mini 4. And the last two, both the Minis have been cellular. In the last couple of months, I've given up on my AT&T Unlimited plan. And so now I can actually tether. I'm not entirely sure going 
cellular was the the most right choice but so far i've liked it and the apple sim is actually pretty cool um i put a post on my site about some random things that i've discovered with regard to the apple sim and so you can go check that out if that's interesting to you the short short version is it's a single sim card that you can use with multiple carriers which is really kind of fascinating um I don't have too much to say about the device other than why didn't somebody tell me that this iPad multitasking stuff was really cool? Like I wish <laughs> Federico had said something or something like that. Cause this is kind of exciting. I love that this, this episode is like Casey discovers after Christmas, what everyone else in Apple community discovered in the fall. has <laughs> been talking about for months. Uh, well, welcome to October. And, and he saw star Wars too. Yeah, and I saw Star Wars just uh, yesterday, actually, as we record. So anyway, so I won't I won't go on about this uh, like I like I did about the Apple TV. But suffice to say, it genuinely I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. It genuinely changes how you use the device when you can genuinely do more than one thing at once. Well, on the old Mini, I could do I believe it's slide over where you can just slide something in and interact with it, and then you have to make it go away because they wouldn't let you do a full on um, two pane multitasking. I could do picture in picture, which, by the way, quick aside. Plex on the iPad actually does support picture-in-picture, even though it doesn't have the same UI that everything else on the planet does. As it turns out, if you just hit the home button while you're playing something, it will automatically kick on picture-in-picture, which is really awesome. Um, So anyway, so I really, really have liked having multitasking on it. And I can't think of any like specific thing that I've done that has been amazing but just the ability to be able to say hang out in slack while catching up on twitter or what have you has been so awesome and genuinely changes i know i've said that word like 18 times but it really does it changes the way i think about my ipad and it makes me feel like even my mini is so much more capable this new mini is so much more capable than the mini that came before it for me um and and I'm really excited to be able to dig into using this a little more, not for work stuff or anything like that, but just to to be more, I don't know, productive or efficient maybe is the word I'm looking for, while even just goofing off. And so I'm I'm really stoked with it, really pleased with it. And so far I'm excited that I um that I got a cellular one. And I now understand Federico's rage over people, over apps that don't support the, the two-pane multitasking because it is really annoying. Marco, were you the one who tweeted or retweeted something showing uh, some person saying, you know, guys, it doesn't take too many changes to UI window to make it into it. Like they had, they had like windows. Yeah, Steve TS did, 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 did like just like a little like mock-up, uh, like a working mock-up demo of like multiple UI windows on screen at once with draggable edges and draggable title bars. Uh, and this is on the iPad, and what they basically had it look like is OS X windows, but with really big finger-sized widgets for the little stoplight widgets, mm-hmm. right? And it looked, it looked silly, and I'm going to say this is probably not the way you should go, but people are mad with power now, basically. Like, <laughs> like split view. Wait a second. The CPU is capable of doing more than things at once. I need Windows and I need to arrange them. They're just, you know, recreating all. They're recreating my desktop on their iPads, which is probably not what they want. They're they're not ready for that. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, I guess someone could do that. Maybe Apple would reject it because they're kind of like that. Oh, this tries to make a new, uh, you know, windowing environment. Or I don't know. I'm sure Apple would find some way to reject it because, like, imagine an app. Yeah. Well, there, there's been a rule forever uh, against apps that try to create their own like 
desktop type environments inside themselves to have any kind of like multiple widgets inside of one central app there like and it's a very vague rule but that's been there since the very beginning it's like the one that got status board rejected but then not because it was ridiculous to reject status board but like but definitely making actual windows because i don't even know how you would what you what would you put in those windows like well think of this way maybe if someone did like a sketching application for the ipad pro where it had a bunch of palettes that were like literally just palettes like photoshop palettes some kind of weird dockable palettes with big finger-sized things on the top of them would apple reject that because it gives too much flexibility about where you put the palettes i don't know like it it seems like there is there's something there where if people somebody is daring enough because the ability to arrange the palettes the way you want in photoshop or any other design application that's a feature like people have different tools that they want to use at certain times and i mean it's not that the mac versions of these applications are infinitely flexible you're still kind of stuck with a set of palettes and you can arrange them and make them skinny or wide or whatever but uh talk to any designer or watch them work people have preferences about what goes where on the screen where is the layers palette where is the history palette what's hidden what's shown by default um is it skinny or wide uh, what's docked here and there like is it the full screen thing or is it the small window like these are just options within you know photoshop if there was an ipad pro sketching application that gave similar flexibility people would use that flexibility because maybe they want like what is the the thing that they always go to they go to the color well frequently Do they change brush sizes frequently uh they don't have like a keyboard to hit the square brackets to make the brush size go up and down so being able to sort of arrange their workspace within an application using things that i guess you kind of not call them windows to avoid getting rejected but i really hope apple wouldn't reject an app like that because i think that's a great idea for and for all i know because i'm not a designer for all i know there are ipad perhaps that already do this so if, if that's the case then never mind it's already been done but um if not that's definitely a, a direction that i think it's safe it should be safe to go in that direction with design applications for example on the ipad pro and seeing this multitasking to to bring it back around just makes me understand that much more why someone would really like an ipad pro despite the fact that i do think it is just comically large I can see how it would be really, really useful to have all that extra screen real estate. So it's interesting. But I, I, I really, really like the new um, the new Retina iPad Mini. Uh, two thumbs up for that. Two thumbs up for the iPad multitasking. Really, really been digging it. On the iPad Pro being comically large, I, I still, as I dwell on this, I think the problem is that it's not big enough. Not the problem, not that there's a problem with it per, per se, but like the reason it seems so large is because we are comparing it to the you know the quote-unquote full-size ipad if it was really comically large like as in 21 inch no one would be comparing it to like no one would think oh i'm gonna put this in my backpack it would be for designers to work with at their desk it's like why is it even an ipad at that point why aren't you just why isn't it just a mac why you know well because you draw on the screen with a pen and you don't do that with a mac and it's not indirect like a cintiq where you got the mac over here you know like I, I still feel like that's the direction we're going in albeit at this at this point we're going there at a snail's pace because it took this long to get us a stylus and a slightly larger ipad but i think that will solve the problem of whoa look at the size of this giant ipad when it, it you stop making that comparison at a certain point when it becomes a thing that sits on your desk i don't mean that you have to plug it in although you could plug it in but i mean i think there have been people who made these very large uh tablet size things like 21 inches or whatever um and they just haven't caught on i just don't think the software is there for it yet but uh in the same way that I feel like that the iPad Pro features will go downscale. At some point, uh, you can make the iPad Pro even bigger. Like, why not? Uh, if, if if it becomes a tool for designers, who wants to design things on something as puny as an iPad Pro? Like, why wouldn't you want something bigger? I think you would, naturally, eventually. 
Well, why did they stop making the 17-inch MacBook Pro? Uh, I, I think that is kind of like, because the laptop's role is to be portable, right? And I don't think the, ta- the, the iPad's role is necessarily to be portable, for, especially for design things, because they just want to draw on the screen, right? I, I think the Cintiqs are bigger than, uh, than that size. Well, I mean, I, I think the reason they killed the 17-inch MacBook Pro is probably because they just weren't selling enough of them to, to make it worth continuing to sell. So a larger iPad than the Pro might have that same problem. They might, you know, there is a maximum size above which it is just too specialized and not enough people will buy it to make it worth Apple making it. And for, for MacBooks, that appears to be 15 inches. So what is it for iPads? It might be the, the iPad Pro size. It might be bigger. Who knows? I don't, I don't buy into that because I think the generation that's throwing mice around the room wants something they're going to touch. Like, that's why I keep saying the iPad is the future of computing. It's not going to be too specialized. What's going to be too specialized is the PCs that you can't touch. So Apple is eventually, for those kids who are throwing those mice around the computer lab who are in kindergarten now, when they are 30 years old, I think they're going to want a really big touchscreen somewhere in their house to do the type of stuff they can't do on their phones, like for sitting down. Like in the same way that we have an iMac or our laptops, or, or maybe maybe they'll just stick with laptops. I don't know. Like I, the, the 17-inch laptop, it's an old form factor, and it's meant to be portable, and a non-portable laptop is called a desktop, and we already have that. Like, we have a <laughs> massive 5K iMac. Like, I don't... I, so one fun thing to think about is, what is the upper size limit on desktop computer screens? 27 inches, that, like, we went up to 30. Is that, like, the limit? Or at a certain point, it becomes you can't find, like, a desk space big enough? It starts blocking your view out of your home? And, like, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just too darn big. I have a friend who uses a television, like, people who have uh, vision problems, you know, not, not that, it, that it's low resolution, but it's just massive, right? Um, I guess, you know, maybe VR headsets come and, and make all this a moot point. But anyway, um, thinking about the sizes screens can be in the future, uh, I think it's, uh, there's lots of interesting possibilities uh, and I think a lot of our view today is colored by what we're comparing it to or where we slot it. Uh, you know, that, that's all just getting back to Casey's thing. It's comically large. And like, in some respects, it is. It's it's like the world's biggest iPhone or it's a comically large iPad. But in other respects, it's a comically small laptop screen detached from a keyboard. It's a comically small iPad that you, iMac that you can touch, right? I don't know. Anyway, that was an aside. We are also sponsored this week by Blue Apron. Go to blueapron.com slash ATP to get your first two meals for free. Now, you need to know how to cook. Not only should you know your way around the kitchen, but cooking at home means eating healthier and saving money instead of ordering expensive, unhealthy takeout every night. But where do you start? Blue Apron has you covered. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers all the fresh ingredients you need to create home-cooked meals. Just follow the easy step-by-step instructions for each recipe with pictures of every step printed right on the recipe cards and many more online how-to videos to teach you any fundamentals and techniques you may not be familiar with. Now, I use Blue Apron. My wife and I have used it for a while now, and I can honestly say it is as easy as they say, and we do enjoy it. Now, each meal can be prepared in 40 minutes or less and comes with exactly the ingredients you need. No overwhelming trips to the grocery store, no rotting leftovers in the fridge, and no more sad takeout. Regardless of your dietary preferences, Blue Apron makes it a breeze to discover and prepare dishes like apple cider glazed chicken with roasted parsnip, carrots, and baby sweet potatoes right in your own kitchen. You also cook with ingredients that you've never used before, like watermelon radishes, farro, and purple potatoes. All Blue Apron's recipes are between 500 to 700 calories per portion. This is delicious and good for you. 
Right now, you can get your first two meals for free at blueapron.com slash ATP. Once again, that's blueapron.com slash ATP. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right. Uh, so, John, you had come up with a topic or theme, perhaps, for the remainder of today's episode. Would you like to introduce that and kind of kick us off? The last episode of 2015, that means they have a sort of a year-end thing. You could do a year-end review. Uh, you could do uh, predictions for next year. What I wanted to do was something kind of in between, which is a 2016 wish list with a set of rules. Of course, there are rules. Uh, so the first rule is that these are not predictions. So that gets us entirely out of the game of trying to predict what is actually going to happen in 2016, because that's fun to do sometimes. And it's easy to tell whether you're right for the most part, but I don't know, like I'm, I'm less interested in predicting what will happen than in talking about what I would like to happen. And for stuff that you would like to happen, you can't pick like blue sky stuff where it's like, if I, you know, if I could have a pony and a unicorn, this is what I would want. So the rules are not predictions and pick things that are plausible and feasible and that you want to see in 2016. And I guess we'll have to just judge whether the thing you're asking for is a fantasy that's never going to happen and has to be stricken from the list. But uh, those are the ground rules. And I hope you guys did some semblance of homework. I have a text file in front of me. That sounds serious. Does it have, does it have more than one thing in it? It has 36 lines with text on them. Well, in, including white space, 36 lines. All right, and this is it's not even like top four. They don't even need to be ordered. This is an unordered list. UL. So you might actually do okay at this, Marco. Well, it, it was very hard for me to do this in a way that wasn't just predictions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, not, like the, the, keeping it to plausible things was, was fairly easy, but making it not just a list of what I think will happen uh, or what I think is very likely to happen, that, that is harder, and I, I have, I've definitely, I definitely had a harder time with that. Um, so my list is a little bit predictive. And, well, to getting away from predictions, the reason I don't want to do predictions is because that allows uh, cynicism in the door. Because you could say, these dummies are going to do this, even though they shouldn't. And this is more just like, what do you want to happen? Like, what? Yeah. if you could if you could make certain things happen and, you know, non-magical things, what, what do you want to see in 2016? And it, it can be anything tech, I guess. I mean, we're probably all thinking of Apple stuff, but realistically, it can be anything tech-related. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, my list is actually pretty optimistic or like it, it isn't a pessimistic or cynical list because you know look and and my list is very very apple focused I, I just wasn't really thinking of other stuff because frankly the rest of the tech industry is kind of boring most of the time to be honest uh, but you know for me the the apple side of it i am i'm optimistic um simply because i think apple in in 2015 and 2014 um, really d- did a lot of 1.0s. Like a lot of things are either brand new product lines or or new product sublines like the iPad Pro um, or you know new services like Apple Music and and photo uh, cloud stuff. Like there there's a lot of restarts and 1.0s recently like in in this past year. And so I'm I'm really hoping that 2016 brings a lot of 1.1s and 2.0s you know like just like a lot of a lot of revision a lot of um maybe maturing of these lines and of these various new products you know just kind of a slowdown in brand new cutting edge launches because apple's cutting edge launches have been all over the map in terms of quality and and usefulness and everything and so to have some time where that can be kind of calmed down and matured and stabilized and, and developed further 
rather than just more and more 1.0s of everything would be very welcome and and i think that's what i i think that's what will happen and i hope that's what will happen and and that so that is my my main theme of my wishes is just stop with the 1.0s for a little while and just like take take all these 1.0s forward to their to their next steps in their in their growth there was a uh, really good well i didn't finish it i only had time to read about the first half um but i think it was neil patel uh, wrote something on the verge uh yesterday i believe it was uh it's entitled apple uh, 2015 apple's year in beta and it very much echoes what you just said that basically there's been a lot of half cooked stuff that's been released in this year and that's really kind of unfortunate and i didn't get to the portion which actually sounds perhaps even more interesting to me which is new platform ideas in search of sticky user behavior. So, for example, 3D Touch, which I find I'm using more and more over time, but I did not have the instant, like, oh, my God, I'm using this always experience that I was kind of expecting to, actually. Um, so we'll link this in the show notes. But it was it, it was a little on the negative side, but I think it was pretty fair, all told. Yeah, I mean, you know, at this at this point in Apple's evolution – they are really throwing a lot more spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. And and whether that used to happen more in private and is now more public, or whether, you know, as I said in, in a recent show, like, I, I think there's just been a lot of low-hanging fruit that has all been picked. And now, like, in order to find the next the next big thing or, or the next um, the next success in the business, it's harder. And, and the, the successes are getting smaller relatively speaking and you know like all the low-hanging fruit has already been picked in a lot of these industries so it is it's just getting harder to find what's next and and to find success and so we are seeing things that come out that are kind of like ah really like or or things that you're not really sure will work uh and many of them don't and many of them do and it's happening more in public now with apple than it used to i think Uh, or maybe we're just remembering wrong i don't know but it does seem like we are seeing a lot more things come out of Apple that that are not clear wins from day one. Obviously, you can look back in to the past and you can you can say, well, it was never perfect, and that's true. But I think like if you look at like the the iPhone 1.0 or even the early iPods uh, and and you know many of their earlier like 1.0 kind of releases versus today's 1.0 releases, I, I think like the number of asterisks and and downsides in the past was probably lower. Uh, than than it is today, and and in part that's because they are a bigger company. Uh, I do think it has to do in part with Steve not being there anymore, and I think in part it is just because the products now are more complicated. And as I just said, like it's more challenging now to find new territory that will be a success. Yeah, from this piece that I was talking about, this is Neil Patel, and that's really the issue. We're not used to Apple being just fine. We're used to Apple being wildly better than the competition or sometimes much worse, but always ahead of the curve on some significant axis. But what we got in 2015 was an Apple that released more products than ever, all of which felt incomplete in extremely meaningful ways, ways that meant that their products were just fine and often just the same as everyone else's. Yeah, I don't know if I buy the, that the premise is again long long memory but one one thing when i think of the 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 problem like the underlying thing i keep coming back to my hobby horse which is i don't know like in a world where products increasingly have a back-end service component that works against apple because i don't know if they can make those things like oh they're 1.0 they're buggy or whatever like i just need one more year to work out the kinks when it was just software and hardware that shipped to customers that was true they could work out the kinks they'd make the hardware better uh but 
when it's server component things, like I don't I don't see a lot of like there's some progress there, but it's really slow. And I that's why I don't have the confidence to like, oh, given given a year or two, like contact syncing will be a solved problem. You know how long Apple's been working on contact syncing? I don't people don't have many contacts. I don't have many contacts. You got like hundred or so, a couple hundred contacts. And I just want them to be the same everywhere and to be in sync. And I, this should be a solved problem. Uh, but it isn't. And it, like, is it is it because Apple hasn't had time to work on contact syncing? No, like, it's just, I, I feel like there is a fundamental incapability of the organization to get past some threshold of quality. And, and as more and more things they make have that component, I worry that there's like a ceiling on how good those things are going to be. How good can Apple Music be if there's necessarily a server component? How good can Apple TV be if there's not, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's my imagination, but certainly it's true that more and more products, even if you just think of the watch where the server is kind of the phone, more and more products rely on something that is not inside the physical device to, to do like their main job, not as a frill or something. Right. Uh, so I, I don't know if like, I don't know. I, iCloud is better than dot mac is you know and mobile me and all that other stuff and things have improved and they are going in the right direction but boy it's it feels like slow going and as that slowly evolves i like the number of new products that and and new platforms for that matter that they introduce that rely on server infrastructure things to be reliable and fast and always available is outpacing the quality of their implementation of those things so I don't want to be too pessimistic. I think I feel like it is a positive trend, but they are Apple in this this past year. If I had to characterize it, it would be a year in which they, a year or two in which they introduced a lot of new platforms, and every new platform was kind of crappy in the beginning. And so, if you introduce a whole bunch of new platforms, you're going to have a whole year or two of kind of crappy. Uh, and you got to give them time to get their feet underneath them. And every platform goes through cycles, like the Mac has been a shaky platform, then solid, then shaky, then solid, then shaky, then solid, then totally in crisis, then really crappy for a whole bunch of years. That's the dawn of OS X. And then solid again, then <laughs> shaky again. Like, these things coincide. So I hope we'll be on an upswing with, you know, I don't know. Are, are we in a, currently in an upswing with iOS or a downswing? I can't, I can't really tell. I think we're kind of plateauing with it. Like, do you feel like iOS has, is in a downswing in terms of the quality as compared to, like, the golden age of, of what is it, iOS 4 maybe? No, honestly, I think iOS is great. Uh, iOS on the iPhone, I think, is fantastic. Uh, iOS, even on the iPad, uh, it, it is it is in many ways still pretty uh, half-assed on the iPad, like uh, as as its own thing versus the iPhone, like versus just being a blown-up phone OS. It is still it still needs a lot of work to really stand on its own in the iPad. But iOS in general and iOS on the iPhone itself, I think the current version, which is which is nine, is uh, is very solid. I, I'm very happy with nine. So, like per- performance, UI, reliability, APIs, like it all just seems like is this is this a new, uh, you know, a good a good period for iOS where like the the UI in seven has kind of had most of the kinks worked out of it. You feel, yeah, for the most part. I mean, like you know, no, nothing's perfect, but I, I think iOS is is pretty solid now. Uh, both you know design wise obviously there's a lot that 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 can use improvement with the iOS 7 design language um and and some of it i just think will not be improved you know some of it would require changing that design language in ways that i don't think the the current software designers in power at apple would ever allow uh so so i don't i don't think it's going to happen uh but 
overall, I, I think it's, it, I, I think iOS and especially iOS on the iPhone is solid. There are some things that are weird. As you mentioned, anything that touches a cloud service can be weird. Um, I don't know how many, how many people out there, uh, with, with iPhones are, very frequently asked to go re-enter their iCloud password and settings. Oh, per- periodically asked. Like some, th- you have it comes. It's like rain. It's you need dark sky app for when am I going to be asked? <laughs> when am I going to be asked for my iCloud password? Today you're going to be asked seventeen times. Then you will not be asked again for three weeks. <laughs> Why? I don't know. In in my case, like I I very frequently will wake up to a phone that I need to re-enter my passcode on that hasn't rebooted, but it just won't do. It just says Touch ID because it's been more than forty eight hours and it's mm-hmm. been like seven hours. Yeah, <laughs> and so you know, it, like there's little stuff like that, but in general, like using the phone, like the 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 OS, like in general, I would say both iOS and Mac OS 10 in their current versions of iOS 9 and El Capitan, are, I think both are pretty solid, pretty good releases. Uh, I I would say that the the Apple TV needs a lot of work, um, and the soft, you know, the actual like the os level like the the like core you know kernel and everything seem fine uh the the ui on the apple tv i think needs a lot of work um it it is very much a ui designed to look good in screenshots and ads and very much not a ui designed to use well at all and the only thing you need to do to see this is buy a tv show on itunes like it's oh it's so bad buy, buy a tv season on itunes <laughs> it's Oh my god! Like it, it, it is so like so clearly not designed to by anybody who ever actually has done this or needs to do this. It was designed to look good on the screenshot once, and and it, it does seem like the print marketing group or whoever like took over the the software UI design. I think the Apple TV, like the new Apple TV, um, is is an example of how that can go pretty badly wrong against usability, and and I hope they see that and and work on that because it is it is pretty rough right now in, in a few areas like that that are pretty pretty common and to the point where like this this christmas you know usually we give apple tvs to our relatives here and there and this christmas we didn't give one to anybody because we don't want to support it and it's yeah it's it's not it's not in a good spot but it's kind of, kind of ironic you, know, you blame that on like the the print design mentality when really what they need is like what print design morphed into which is web design because when print when print morphed into web design they brought on the information architecture people to explain to them it's not so much what your screens look like it's what the screens are and how they connect to each other and how the people get a sense of place about it and how many screens you know like plain old wireframe information architecture came in to combine with the print people to say when you do web design it's not a bunch of pages you have to actually design you know the 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 information flow and how it's connected and how it's organized in a way that makes sense to people and allows them to get where they want to go in a reasonable fashion and not feel lost and all that other stuff uh whereas yeah the, the i feel about the apple tv with a lot of the screens look really good but they're they're not connected to each other in a sensible way and there seem to be too many of them and a lot of time I, I feel like I'm going through too many screens or I, I lose track of where I am. So that's that's just plain old straight up O'Reilly Polar Bear book business. <laughs> yeah, so that that is one thing on my on my wish list. I really hope that the Apple TV gets just some some UI tweaks to make it more usable because right now it is it is so poorly usable in in so many little areas like that and it seems like the fix is not difficult. It just takes some rethinking of certain screen layouts, and uh, and so I, I hope they do that. So is that is that one item? Let me let Marco go first. Is that is that count as one item? Is he saying that uh, he thinks what uh, what he wants to see is the Apple TV 
getting uh, some improvements, some reasonable improvements, because it's a new platform. There's a lot of obvious things they can do. Yeah. And also, I mean, while I'm talking about the Apple TV, I would also say, um, you know, this is this has a brand new app store. The implementation of the store itself is, is pretty bad. And I would love to see uh, that improved as well. And and in the area of apps for the Apple TV, you know, it's still very early. There are very, There are very few apps available for it. I would love to see, you know, whenever a new platform comes out, you have people like like on the Apple TV. I know Guy English has talked a lot about this on his podcast and, and blog. Uh, like you, you kind of want to see like not just porting iPhone apps to it, but we want to see like what what new kinds of apps does this make possible that we haven't thought of yet. And on the, on the Apple TV, we haven't seen that yet. I, I I'm curious to know if during 2016 we will see some new kind of app take off on the apple tv that that wouldn't work just as well or better on a phone like something that really takes advantage of being a tv app you know so i would love to see that come from the third-party community and and i hope it does i really do hope it does and i also hope that the apple tv becomes a first-class game platform to release on for ios games like Uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna hit the pie in the sky buzzer on that one (laughs) no i know i know no like like obviously like i'm not expecting like console games to be launched to it but but i think games that are launching on ios or that that are that are having success on ios i hope that they get ported quickly to the apple tv or launched simultaneously would be like probably the pie in the sky goal for now but it would be nice to see it get more gaming status because it is it is really fun to play good games on the apple tv but that i think you know if i would if this was a predictions episode I would honestly predict neither of those things would happen. Neither it being a first-party thing for games, nor us seeing some really amazing apps for it. I would actually say neither of those are likely to happen, but they're but they're both plausible, and I and they're both things that I wish would happen. So, how are we summarizing the ninety-three points you just made? Apple TV colon get better. Yeah, there you go. He had some some definitely some plausible things that could be done to Apple TV. I think he drifted off into into unicorns in the uh, the game or you got a ps4 <laughs> now you don't have to worry about that oh goodness all right all right casey your turn um so i have a handful what do i want to use first uh, okay i will use app store improvements <laughs> app store colon get better um <laughs> i think that it, it's easy for me to 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 make these sorts of uh, wishes and hopes and dreams and and decisions from the position of someone who really this is this doesn't affect me but for those friends that i have like marco like underscore and so many others that that try to make a living out of the app store i would really love to see things get better for independent developers and i'm not really clear how i mean a lot of the the standard answers like trials and things like that that may or may not improve things but whatever the answer is especially what with the shakeup that we discussed either last week or the week before uh, i'd really like to see and i think it's plausible to see the app store get better actually both for independent developers which is how i was originally coming at this but also for users you know see search get better to see Things like uh, home sharing I've never tried because I'm petrified of trying it because I've heard it's terrible. Uh, all of that. Can we just make that better, please? That's a pretty vague item. I mean, it is is plausible. Definitely plausible. Like if you'd picked one thing, for example, say you'd picked upgrade pricing. 100% plausible. That's merely a policy change. It could happen. You could have said. But instead, you just kind of punted and said, I want something better to happen for the App Store. But you're not willing to say what that is. I can see that it's definitely a lot of plausible things. Yeah. And I think the, the thing of it is, is that... I'm not so convinced that all the things everyone's been whining about 
are the right answer. They may be, you know, uh, upgrade pricing might help a lot. Um, trials might help a lot, but I'm not sure those are the silver bullets everyone says they are. And I haven't been able to come up with the silver bullet. And I'm pretty sure if I, if I could, I, I would be much better compensated than I am. And I'd probably be working at Apple, but whatever the answer may be, there's gotta be something out there. There's gotta be a way to make things better. Maybe it's more transparency. Okay. I'll go with that. Maybe it's just a little bit more transparency. Now, now you might have to hit the pie in the sky buzzer, but no, but I think it's an easy one. Like to say that, like the problem when when app developers have their application in review and they have just like a status line with a canned message uh, that tells them what phase it's in, or when it gets rejected, like the fact that they can't immediately connect with someone to have a humane discussion about the issues at hand like that just it's like there's some misunderstanding that could be cleared up with a five-minute conversation with a person who is empowered to do something and that conversation can never happen you just you can send email you can wait for a response sometimes the response makes it clear that they didn't understand what you said and just like i don't know if you call it transparency or like communication or like maybe it's a scaling problem where they just can't have individual people talk to individual developers about their problems with their applications and a lot of it just has to be canned responses but yeah i think that could definitely improve even if you just threw manpower at it or woman power or human power uh, but just to just say hire hire more people to you know so there is someone always someone available a knowledgeable person available to discuss an app rejection to explain what the deal is what needs to be done to fix it if there's a misunderstanding going on you know because one of the ones i've seen uh, a couple times is someone will submit an application and it'll get rejected for reading or writing files from a forbidden location but the code that is reading or writing the forbidden files is from inside an apple framework and it's not clear <laughs> it's not clear like did i use the framework wrong that caught did i misconfigure it and call an api you know that on some kind of misconfigured object and that's why it wrote into a bad place or is it a bug in apple's own code where no matter how you use this api it has the potential to write files in a forbidden place or whatever and so developers who get that message uh get that rejection are like well what what do i do now can, can i not use that framework because it's like as far as they're concerned it's not their code that's doing it and all they need is someone whoever did this rejection if apple even knows to say oh yeah no the, you know i know it's our code doing it but it's because you're using our api in the wrong way you're using it like this that and that and it causes it to write files here if you use it in this other way i won't do that or have someone have the conversation and go oh you're right you're not doing anything wrong that's just a bug in our framework and those conversations either seem to happen way too slowly or not happen at all. And a lot of developers get frustrated by you know, a rejection that's not actionable. Like they don't know what to do. They just throw up their hands and say, well, what am I supposed to do about that? Am I not supposed to use that framework? Am I doing something wrong? And in some respects, like, well, you know, it's not Apple's job to write your application for you. But I don't know. I've, I've seen enough of those cases that I think a, a better, a more human connection with the faceless machine that is app review could benefit all developers. Yeah, I mean to me like my my 2016 wish in regards to app store improvement is much more broad and and vague because honestly, I don't expect a lot of these things that you've that you've mentioned to happen. Um my my wish is simply show us a sign that things might be changing for the better because you know, like we we got like the the fill taking over thing last week. Show us a sign of movement in the right direction in actual App Store status or behavior or policy. For years, the attitude of the App Store shown by by both their communication 
and by the their action or rather inaction for the most part the attitude has been really nothing here needs needs to be changed everything is fine and we you know the the system we have now is good and works well in reality the system they have now is okay and works okay uh, but it, it, i i would not say that there's no room for improvement whereas the attitude from them keeps being by by their own actions keeps being we don't need to improve this because they really just haven't you know so i would like to see just some sign that they believe that they agree inside that they believe th- that there are things that could use significant improvement and that they are working on them because we really have seen nothing of that sort so far you just want them to like issue an apology or make like a statement of purpose <laughs> or make it make a mission statement to say we agree things are wrong and we will fix them somehow vaguely no i, I mean i would like to see action but it doesn't have to be a big action yet just like some kind of action that shows that that they are changing things in the app store that they are not satisfied with the app store because that's the thing like they appear so incredibly satisfied with it and that and just so little has changed about it in seven years or whatever like i i just i want to see something that indicates that apple truly believes this is not good enough casey said that he didn't know you know like he didn't have any specific thing because maybe trials aren't it maybe upgrade pricing isn't in it he wasn't sure exactly what it was well Apple's not sure sure about those same things. They're not sure that because if they were sure that upgrades would fix it, they would do it. If they're sure that trials would make things better, they would do it. So obviously they also agree with you, Casey, that they're not quite sure what to do. And so they're doing nothing. Uh, and like it's the same same thing with, with Marco's request here. If you don't have a specific thing, like I know you want something to happen, but someone inside Apple would have to pick which thing it is. And it's potentially dangerous because say you're wrong and trials makes the app store worse instead of better. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that would kind of fulfill Marco's thing because at least it would be showing, well, we tried something at least instead of just saying, oh, we're, you know, like, I, I think the impression you're getting, Marco, is like, because if they don't do anything, we just assume, well, I guess they must think it's fine because they never do anything and it doesn't change. Yes. And so so it's like, yeah. Uh, and so them doing something, even if it was the wrong thing, would at least show that they have some internal dissatisfaction. It could be argued that the, the management reshuffle counts as something, even though it is not a change yet that affects developers it does at least show that they think there is something amiss somewhere inside apple's organization whether they think the thing that's amiss is the app store or some other thing that was affected by the shuffle we don't know but uh i don't know i, I, I can let that one slide by because it is definitely plausible <laughs> that they will do something <laughs> something vague that we will not specify hey it, it, i had to skirt the system somehow just for you all right what's your first I, you guys are getting uh, big, vague and big picture. Mines are just so super specific and so easy. Uh, I want a new Mac Pro. So does Marco. So does everybody. Everyone wants a new. Who doesn't uh, want a new uh, Mac uh, Pro? <clears throat> a Mac <clears throat> Pro in every pot. <laughs> it's a new Mac Pro with uh, you know Thunderbolt three and and my sub item is a new five K external display to drive off the thing. Like we all know, we want it. We know it has to be coming. Just make a new mac pro it is entirely plausible 100 percent plausible and it should come in 2016 and when it comes i'll be excited because i like that and i might even buy one yeah this this is i have this i have that also on my list of course um under a, a heading of just complete the retina transition and so what this would have to include is a desktop standalone 5k display and the ability for the mac pro and the laptops to drive it um and and maybe the mac mini as well that would be nice i'm not expecting much on that front because the mac mini is so rarely updated but that would be nice people hook up screens to mac minis 
<laughs> that aren't TVs, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, I totally. I mean, and and this is very plausible because uh, this is the, this is going to be the year of Skylake, and and you know we we got like little trickles of Skylake so far. Twenty sixteen should be if Intel has everything together, which is not a given. But if they have everything together, this should be the year of Skylake everywhere. So this should be. The laptops, uh, finally, all of them, all the pros going Skylake. Um, the MacBook One going Skylake and getting its USB-C port upgraded to also have Thunderbolt coming out of it. The MacBook Pro Retina line, I, I expect to be not only upgraded to Skylake, but to also get a redesign. We, we've heard rumors here and there that it will, and I think the timing is right because the current design came out in 2012, and Skylake gives them an excuse to make the battery smaller. So I expect there to be... A MacBook Pro Skylake refresh. This is sorry, getting into predictions, but, <laughs> but this is all just part of it. You know, like I, I want this to be finally completing the the Retina transition in the Mac lineup because it it has been partially complete, literally since 2012, <laughs> and and we are so close. We're so close, and and we're we're just not quite there yet until we can get Skylake uh, that can drive Skylake chipsets with Thunderbolt three that can drive external 5k displays over a single cable and and that is so close we are so close to that do you want to see them get rid of the macbook air so here here's what i think will happen on that front not what you think will happen do you want them to get rid of it? like would you be happy like if you could if you could tell apple what to do essentially because discontinuing in the macbook air is entirely feasible so if you were in charge of apple you say you know what in 2016 stop making the macbook air first of all i think i think that would be too soon i i wouldn't i would expect the macbook air to get updates from now on on a similar schedule to when the Mac Mini gets updates. I would expect that they wouldn't get rid of the Air without compelling things taking its place. So obviously on the low end, you have the MacBook One. Uh, but the MacBook One really does not uh, replace the Air in, in a number of ways because it is so much slower and so much more limited and has so many more compromises for that, for that thinness than, than even the Air does. I do think, though, that when they redesign the the Skylake MacBook Pros, the the Retina MacBook Pro, I do think the the newly thinner, lighter 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro will be so close to to the 13-inch MacBook Air that I think it will make the MacBook Air far less relevant. So then on the low end, you have the MacBook One eating into the 11-inch, and then you have the the new, thinner 13-inch MacBook Pro eating into the 13-inch Air. And then I think the airline is pretty much obviated at that point. That doesn't mean Apple will stop selling it, because current, today's Apple does not stop selling anything ever. But uh, I do think that both ends will then be adequately attacked and will be clearly replaced for most Air buyers at that point. So, Marco, you had said that you want a new Mac Pro, and God help me for encouraging you to talk about this more, but... Why? What would this phantom new Mac Pro do for you that your, and I don't mean this sarcastically, beloved um, I'm 5K iMac doesn't do? For the most part, I, I'm not sure I would get the next generation Mac Pro. I might get the one after that. Ultimately, what I want out of my computer that the current iMac is not satisfying me with is just even more sheer cpu performance like that i i always want more cpu performance than what i have and the way intel's moving these days new cpu performance does not come easily it does not come quickly uh skylake is uh, is an, a substantial boost not not like you know twice as fast but it's you know it's faster by a noticeable amount 
and I would I would get way more cores. I would I would probably go eight core if I got a Mac Pro, maybe even twelve, but it, that would probably be insanely priced. So I would probably go with eight. As time goes on, my CPU needs just are increasing. You know, I, now I'm I'm taking way more pictures, and that now that I have this awesome new camera, processing those pictures is insane. I'm shooting 4K video now with my awesome iPhone camera and my fancy camera, but you know, even more with the iPhone. You know, some dealing with bigger video files, dealing with bigger photos. As I'm compiling more code, and I'll be transitioning to Swift fairly soon. All the CPU needs of everything keep going up for for compilation and everything. So ultimately, I push my computer to the limit fairly often uh, in my work uh, and you know not for like massively long sustained periods for the most part but for like brief periods of i just need all the horsepower i can get for the next two minutes kind of thing and i do that kind of thing frequently so i really would like more cpu power and that's that is mainly what i'd be looking for uh in in all other ways i'm extremely happy with this with the time act and even cpu power wise versus the lineup that's available today it is at the top for single-threaded. Uh, well, I guess the, the newer Broadwell-based one probably beats it by a few percentage points. But it is, it is relative to the entire Mac lineup, it is, it is one of the like, top couple or cu- top three that, that have ever existed in single-threaded performance. And even in, in multi-core, it is pretty far up the list until you get into the very high core count Mac Pros. So it is, it is really close to as good as you can get already. So that's why I'm saying like I would probably wait a, a generation of Mac Pro but I don't know if the generations keep being two or three years long. That might change. You know, so the, the Mac Pro has a timing issue because um, the the Xeons that it, that it would use uh, that would go in an update. Uh, the the Broadwell Xeons are coming out like next week, but though that chipset will not support Thunderbolt three, so that chipset most likely won't be able to drive a theoretical five K Apple display. But the Skylake Xeons are coming out you know, quote, later this year, that would be a way better chip to use in a Mac Pro update in theory, because then you could rev the whole thing with with Thunderbolt 3, USB-C ports, and the ability to drive a new 5K monitor. So I hope that's what they do. I don't know that's what they'll do, but I hope they will wait for Skylake E chips and uh, and give us a nice solid update. And if they do, that would be a really interesting option uh, for me to consider. But I, prob- I would probably still want to wait a generation just to get a, a bigger boost over what i have now you're talking like me now oh i don't want to buy this one i want to buy the next one but the, the difference <laughs> is historically is that you do buy this one and also the next one truth that, that's usually the case yeah well once i learned how easy it is to resell max uh <laughs> it, it it makes it a lot easier because then, then it becomes like well is it worth spending like you know a thousand dollars to use this computer for 18 months and it's like sometimes the answer is yes you know, like if if you can get like the best computer in the world for what you do every single day, buy it when it comes out, and then sell it a year later for you know five hundred to a thousand dollars less than what you paid, that's not that bad. That's pretty good actually. If, if someone wants to make a cottage uh, business, you could be the only client, and they could just rent you Macs like they rent you headphones and cameras. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I guess that's fine and makes sense and all. It's, I'm surprised that you really are CPU bound that often because about the only time I'm CPU bound is when I'm you know compressing video files that I've like ripped from a Blu-ray or something like that. It's so rare that I'm CPU bound on anything else that I do. I don't know. All right, so uh, whose turn is it now? Marcos, I believe. I I, I mean, basically, <laughs> I stole John's Mac Pro topic. Well, you had it on your list too. We it was a duplicate. Yeah, and it really is, you know, for me, it really is part of this kind of this general thing of like, it's. I hope it's going to be the year of Skylake everywhere and also finally finish the Retina transition on Mac. Finally cover the whole product line with Retina. 
No, I know how Tiff feels. Marco cannot follow instructions. No, it all is about what he predicts and what he. Just, no, that's not, a wish. That's because that, that uh, is not that is not guaranteed. You know, like this this five K display might not actually come out. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, anyway, like the, a new Mac Pro using Skylake might not come out, or it might come out using Broadwell and not have Thunderbolt three for the next three years. We have no idea. Yeah, like uh, my my actually my items are two things. Like I want a new Mac Pro, even if it's just the Broadwell one. And the sub item is I want a new five K display. And so if I get one of those, I get a new Mac Pro. Yeah, I, I'm glad it was, because here's what I, here's why I'd want a new Mac Pro, even though it doesn't drive the five K display, and even though I've said that I'm not going to buy it until it does. A new Mac Pro would signal that, that, that the Mac Pro is not on the Mac Mini update cycle. You know what I mean? Like right, that, right. <laughs> that it is a line of computers that they consider updating on something approaching a reasonable schedule based on the availability of the chips that everyone thinks they should put in. Unlike the Mini, which is like, eh, we'll skip a year or two, whatever. And then someone wakes up and goes, oh, Mac Mini, what? All right, uh, here, here's a new one. And goes back to sleep again. I would like to see some sort of solid story i guess around swift on the server something that's that's considered that's deliberate that's well thought out some sort of nice swift on the server package setup framework whatever adjective you'd like to use i want to see swift on the server i think that'd be cool from apple or from somebody else don't care i mean from apple would be better i guess since it's first party but really if there was some accepted and understood standard I would really love to see it. Something, not one of those situations like Cocoa Pods versus Carthage or anything like that. Like an honest to goodness, good, robust, mature as much as it can be, given this is all new. Uh, Swift on the server framework. I think that would be really, really awesome. I almost had an item like that on my list, but I didn't quite know how to phrase it, and I am uh, obviously more demanding about uh, avoiding vagueness than either of you are. But it was like, <laughs> like a uh, you know, like like a. a Maybe, you know, do we just need a bunch of libraries for HTTP for just handling the protocol and then like, you know, uh, sort of web frameworks on top of that? Or another possibility is some standardized way to talk to databases from Swift, you know, like is there so many pieces and I'm thinking obviously, you know, quote unquote web applications, but web applications may just be something that that uh, you know accepts and returns JSON over HTTP is that a web application or you know but just what we think of as when you say server side things that's what we're all talking about like not many people are making servers these days that aren't talking HTTP right um, and so I don't know if you need like especially in the first year like I, it's too much to ask I think to say oh there should be a giant proliferation of web framework things and they should all duke it out until one clear victor emerges like that's going to take like five years right so maybe we'll start smaller and say how about just a standard for starting a server listening on a port dealing with http sending uh, receiving requests and sending responses sort of the bare bones the equivalent of uh you know wsgi and python or psgi plaque and pearl or whatever like maybe we start with that that seems like a reasonable year one year goal and even there i bet there'd be like five competing standards and they have to just duke it out and then the second year it'll be clear which one is the best supported or whatever but yeah i i i would uh, really like something like that too i just didn't know how to phrase it yeah and i mean people have started doing this there's um taylor which uh, the chat room is linking me to we'll put that in the show notes I feel like there was something else with a really cheesy name. Like, ne- there's one called Nest, I think. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. There was, wasn't there one called like Perfect or something? Yeah, something I'm sure like, there's like 19 of them. Like, right, this exactly. Is, you know, we, 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 what we're asking for is like there to be one or two. 
like it, that are really good, well supported, debugged. The people are building things on. Like it's it's a tough year one goal. Like I mean, I, I think we'll be making progress in it. But anytime you sort of give this kind of playground to people, no pun intended, they're they're just gonna everyone's gonna try a whole bunch of things. And there's I don't know if you can really fast forward through that to get to the end part where we all decide on jQuery or whatever and regret <laughs> it because jQuery is too big and we have to do. Yeah, I forget. I don't want to bring JavaScript into this. This is too painful. <laughs> oh, God. You and your JavaScript. All right. Uh, any other thoughts on this, or should we move back to John? All right, John. All right, so my second or third, if you count the 5K display item list, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there because remember, this is not a prediction. Not a prediction. Uh, new file system. Ding, ding. New file system for uh, for OS ten and for iOS. Sure, they can have it, too, if they really want. It's fine. Um, I think it's plausible. How long has Apple known they need a new file system? For a really, really long time. They should have been working on this for years and years and years and years and years. And they should have been working on it, and they have been. Like, they, they've worked on it long enough to have a ZFS dead end many years back. Like, I feel like it is plausible. I don't think it's going to happen. I feel like if I had to predict, I would say 2017-ish. But it is plausible. And so when I sit down to watch WWDC, whether in person or remotely, in 2016... I am going to have a plausible hope, as opposed to this year, which was a slightly less plausible hope, that they announce a new file system. And I guess they would announce it in the context of the Mac, or maybe they wouldn't announce it at all. I don't even know. I just want it to exist. Um, so, again, this is not a prediction. This is a wish, and I believe it is. Pl- and if it's not plausible, shame on Apple. Because if you say, oh, it's too soon. We just started work on this project six months ago. You did? Did you really start six months ago? <laughs> anyway, new file system. Yeah, good luck. All right, uh, Marco, for you. So I have this whole section here on uh, the Apple Watch. What I, I want the Apple Watch to find its way. By all accounts, the Apple Watch is doing decently. Um, by, by many people's estimations, looking at server logs and everything, it does seem like many of them were given as Christmas gifts uh, this, this past week. And you know, before that, it seems like the Apple Watch was doing decently sales-wise, you know, not a massive, like, setting the world on fire kind of thing. Not the next iPhone by any by any means, but doing decently. So sales-wise, it seems like it's going to be here to stay. It's, it, it's, a, it's a line that is working for Apple. I worry that it will have the same growth curve as the iPad. It will shoot up now as it's the new cool thing, and then a lot of people will just drop off, or the upgrade cycle will become very long, way longer than Apple wants it to be. I think the Apple Watch is a product that it is like 75% good. It just needs a lot of refinement um, because everything it does, like it does things that are incredibly compelling and it just does them all like almost really well. So for the last few days, um, I have been wearing a mechanical watch. I have not worn my Apple Watch since, uh, I don't know, a week ago or so. So I'm wearing a mechanical watch that I got as a Christmas gift, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm learning what this world is like. One of the cool things about a mechanical watch, besides the fact that I think, honestly, I'm finally understanding when the, when the, the watch people said, when the Apple Watch launched, that that is just not a fashion item. <laughs> like it, when, you, when you compare the way like traditional-style watches look versus the way the Apple Watch looks, I think you can say in isolation... That the Apple Watch can look good, you know, in, in many of its configurations, I think it does look good. But when you compare it fashionability-wise to uh, a mechanical watch, I, I think it's honestly no contest. 
Uh, but it, it's not even in the same league. But but that's okay. You know, that it doesn't need to be. It just needs to be good. But anyway, there are so many areas of it in which, like, like the notifications. I do miss now that I'm wearing this watch. I do miss like when when Casey you sent me a message earlier. My pocket vibrated, and I I glanced at my wrist <laughs> and only saw the time. <laughs> and, just, and I do miss like having to take my phone out does feel inconvenient now when I get a message to go try to read it and see and see what it is. But that feature of the Apple Watch is also very frustrating because for me it works most of the time, but not all of the time. Every so often, at seemingly random intervals, I will just stop receiving notifications on my Apple Watch. But my phone thinks it's sent into the watch, so then just they get dropped on the floor and I just don't receive messages until next time I check my phone which I'm not in the habit of doing anymore because I have the Apple Watch. I can look at all the Apple Watch's core benefits, and they all work like 75% well like that. And it's frustrating. And yes, it is It is still its first year. And so yes, many of these things are like 1.0 bugs, even though technically it's on software version 2.0, but that doesn't seem to mean what you would expect from a 2.0. Uh, I just think that this product has so much promise, but it just needs to be better. And it needs to be better in ways that typically don't happen quickly. You know, like like if a, if a product is launched and it's like almost really great, that's that almost is really hard to resolve and to remove into just being really great. And I I, I hope Apple can do that with the watch because it really is a very compelling product in a number of ways most of the time, and it's just so frustrating that it isn't all the time. I am I am so happy having this thing on my wrist now these past few days that just it doesn't do nearly as much as the apple watch by a long shot but it does it every single time (laughs) every time i look at my wrist the time is displayed every single time and that's what you want out of something like that you want it to be that reliable the apple watch isn't and i hope it can be and i hope it is I think there's some good hope for the upgrade cycle because if any device had fashion going for it, it's got, it's got both. It's got the tech thing where this is the big fat version and surely they're going to get thinner, right? So that will help because it'll make it feel less like a, a giant Airstream trailer on your wrist. And it's got the fashion thing. Even if they, they had made it like as thin as they wanted to make it and they were actually making it bigger again for fashion reasons, the way you get someone to buy a new watch next year uh, is you know convince them this really is a fashion accessory and then make it look different because people are into fashion and fashion things want things to look different they don't want to wear the same thing year after year so at the very least it will have uh, a motivator to shorten the upgrade cycle that the iPad doesn't have because no one is upgrading their iPad because their old one is not fashionable anymore yeah I think that's true I uh, recently I don't know maybe it's a week or two ago wrote a Apple Watch revisited post uh, on my site and. I agree with you, Marco, that I have very mixed feelings about the Apple Watch. And in fact, on um, the Upgradies uh, on Relay, uh, this is with Jason Snell and Mike Hurley. Uh, they do their year-end kind of recap and, and you know a funny award show. And they had solicited feedback from any of the Relay hosts that felt like they wanted to participate. And I forget exactly what the categories were, but I had listed the Apple Watch both for the most disappointing device as well as the one that has changed my life the most. (laughs) Because I really do feel both of those things are true. That I had such high expectations for the watch, which I don't think they've really, it's it's really met. But at the same same time, uh, you know, to quote myself um, (laughs) from my site, you know, it's, 
it's become it's made my my phone transition from being a personal device to a private device and that's a really big change it's now my phone is only for me and it's i'm not taking it out constantly unless i choose to it stays in my pocket all the time unless i'm choosing to get it out and that's very different than it used to be when it was buzzing constantly and I would take my phone out in order to see what was going on and triage it and whatnot. And I agree with you, Marco, that having notifications on your wrist, as long as they work, which 99% of the time it does for me, although occasionally my watch just kind of forgets that it's connected to the phone, as long as they work, it's phenomenal. And it's really changed the way I interact with my phone. And so I agree with you. I'd like to see Apple Watch colon get better, but... It is an extremely impressive device, and I think I would really miss it if I stopped wearing it. Yeah, I'm also, you know, on on the on the UI side of the Apple Watch, I think that's another product where it, the UI needs a lot of help in certain areas. Like, just, it, I mean, honestly, I I don't think I, th- I think this falls off the end of plausibility, but I would love to see a complete rethinking of the entire app launching paradigm on the watch. You know, make it more of a like clock face plus glances only kind of thing uh, and get rid of the entire honeycomb screen and the idea of launching apps that way get rid of that entire paradigm like i i i want to see major rethinking of the watch ui i also just like it is a smart watch it is a computer be smarter like the the clock faces themselves the watch faces themselves um are in many ways still somewhat dumb and and I you know I've mentioned I mentioned this before so I won't go too far into it but just like get just get smarter with what can be shown on the face what you have to choose between um, re- the relevance of certain information um, certain kind of like you know some kind of uh, heuristic of like you know do I have to have the timer always showing on the face in order to have it show when it's counting down when I have one running like stuff like that just like make the watch faces smarter. Why does the uh, minute hand of the utility face ever cover up the date so you can't see what date it is? Like, simple things like that. Skeuomorphism, that's why. Right, like, it's a computer. You can do smarter things. When you compare it to mechanical watches, now that I've seen this world a little bit, when you, when you compare it to mechanical watches, the Apple Watch face isn't that much smarter. It has many of the same downsides as mechanical watches do. It's a computer. It has the ability to show anything, to be smarter, to, to be considerate, and to be really you know, intelligent and, and flexible in a, in a way that the current Apple Watch uh, face environment doesn't take advantage of it and doesn't really expose or allow. And I, I really hope to see more of that. And, and, you know, but again, this, I think this pushes the bounds of plausibility because a lot of that would require gutting and redoing and redesigning and rethinking much of the Apple Watch's existing UI. Honestly, I don't see Apple doing that. Uh, instead, we have these rumors that the version 2 hardware will just be like a FaceTime camera added, <laughs> and that sounds insane to me. Like, I, I hope that my what I have listed on here is like second-gen hardware. Please let it be substantially faster because the, the speed of the watch really uh, impedes the kinds of usefulness that you can do with its apps. It would be nice if it was a little bit thinner. It probably won't happen. And then I have here FaceTime camera question mark. I hope I'm missing something <laughs> because I really like I, I I hope there's a good use for that camera that I'm not thinking of because I can think of 
one really bad use, which would be FaceTime. So I really hope that's not it. Somebody for Apple to sell nose hair trimmers in its stores. <laughs> oh, my God. Because <laughs> as soon as people start using that FaceTime camera, there's going to be a run on nose hair trimmers. <sighs> you know, it, they could sell them right next to the hedge trimmers they need to, tr- tr- to trim. God damn it. I totally <laughs> pushed that. Wall. We got it. Yes. We finished it for you. Oh, God. Bless America. Don't worry, Casey. You, you almost get credit for that joke. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're, we're just going to have to cut all that out. Oh, <laughs> uh, goodness. All right. Uh, so does that make it? It's my turn again. Uh, to keep with the super nerdy topics, uh, there is a Swift package manager for OS X. I'd like to see that on iOS, which I'm sure it's coming. And I'd like to see that get adopted. So the previously mentioned Carthage versus CocoaPods war just goes away. All right, be careful what you wish for there, because you know, <laughs> the, like for all the faults you may find with the existing package managers, they're still more mature than this brand spanking new Swift one. So it would... I don't know. I I think what you're asking for is like unification, even if it's unifying around something that is less mature at this point. And yeah, I think that that would be good. I don't know if that's plausible for next year because yeah, that's 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 like a forward looking thing. Where like I would like to see this mess sorted out so that I don't have to deal with these differences. And there's just one way that everyone agrees on of of doing this thing, like you know, Gem and Ruby or uh, C band and Perl or whatever. And having one thing is better than that one thing being particularly debugged or worked out or whatever. But I think we're in for a couple of years of more pain in that. Oh, I think you're right. But I think if Apple made something really robust and really solid, I think it could kind of solve the problem once and for all. For Yeah, for for Mac and iOS, I, I probably. But like then what are the your previous thing about the server side people? Maybe they come up with their own system. I don't know. Yeah. That's all I had for, well, for this one anyway. So, John? All right. Um, the next item is another, see how simple and concise mine are? New Mac Pro, new file system, <laughs> new 5K display. Another concise one. Uh, Apple Pencil for iPad non-pro. That's it. Full, the regular, what we used to call full-sized iPads. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want one of those with pencil support. It is totally plausible, and it would be awesome, and I would probably buy one. Yeah, and that honestly, that's pretty plausible. I, I, I would, I'm pretty sure, I, I wouldn't expect to see it in the mini, but I would expect to see it at least in the Air line. Uh, this, the, you know, the next Air probably this fall or whatever. I, I hope they do that. I mean, that's that's probably the main reason I'm I'm not buying an, an a new iPad now because my iPad three like it's really it's really chugging these days. Or it's slowing down. I don't know if it's iOS 9 that's making it slow down or just like I'm getting used to my iPhone 6 too much. I just can't. I'm doing much more on my phone using it as a really, really small iPad because I just can't stand <laughs> going over to my slow iPad. And so I would have bought a new iPad this year, except I couldn't get it out of my head that I don't want to buy one this year and the next year they have one with a pencil because that would be cool. So, yeah, I would like to see that next year. All right, Marco. I would like to see general maturing of the iPad Pro, you know, now that we're on this topic. Um, the iPad Pro, obviously, it's very new. It's like, you know, a month old or something now. So it's very new. Um, the, the hardware seems really great. The software seems like it needs still a lot of time to bake. And that's both first-party and third-party software. My worry is that this fall, before the iPad Pro was even out, we saw, as you mentioned earlier, Casey, we saw the launch of, of multitasking on the iPad. And there are still so many incredibly useful ipad apps that have not been updated for multitasking and this is not just you know some fluke this is because 
it is not really worth developers putting a lot of effort into most iPad apps. And that is a, that's a big problem for the iPad. So I, I really hope that in 2016 we see a, enough worthwhile gains on the iPad market-wise to be worth developers updating their software. Because as any iPad Pro owner can tell you, it is really great when you're using apps that resize properly to the iPad Pro and support multitasking properly. And it's really rough when you're not. Uh, and you know that's it's bad enough on the on the you know 1024 by 768 iPad the the Air and the Mini it's bad enough on those when you have something that doesn't support uh, multitasking but it's way worse on an iPad Pro when you have something that brings up that tremendous old keyboard from mm-hmm. because the app is being scaled up um, it's really rough that will hold the iPad Pro back until it is resolved right now it doesn't appear as though that's going to be resolved easily. You know, because like developers of many iPad apps are really not rushing to update them for these new capabilities, uh, because it has been it, historically it has been so hard to justify putting more effort into iPad programming because this, the market has not rewarded it uh, in a commensurate way for for most app types. I really hope to see that change and and to see a lot more iPad software get updated for modern devices. Because if that doesn't happen, a year from now we're going to hear a lot of really disappointed iPad owners talking about it. I mean, I don't have an iPad Pro, so I have nothing to contribute to this, but it makes sense to me. Well, but you just said, you know, you do have an iPad now with multitasking support, and it does suck when you when you want to multitask with an app that doesn't support it. So that's this is all tied in. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yo, you're absolutely right about that. Can we just lump in uh, the lack of uh, Instagram iPad app in there just for the hell of it? <laughs> because th- things that will annoy every iPad owner. Yeah, it, just, it has always amazed me the iOS applications that don't think it's important to pick your thing to be updated for the iphone 6 size to do anything sensible on the ipad to have an ipad app at all uh it's tough when you're not number one even just you know the number two ios device platform is just that's a big drop off after the iphone yeah and then while i'm on the little the quick ios topic or ios device topic here um the iphone 7 i have a quick little bullet list bullet point here of you know, iPhone 7 is coming out this year. It's, it's going to be, you know, if they follow the pattern, which they will almost certainly follow, um, it's going to be a redesign year for the for the external casing of the iPhone this year. I'm not going to wish for more battery life because that's not plausible. It is plausible. You could you could totally wish. Yes, it is. It is 100% plausible. You could say you could say you want more battery life in terms of the number of minutes or like wall clock time, or you could just say I want more milliamp hours. You know what? I would actually. This is. I would like more milliamp hours, and I know. I know they won't do that because that would make it heavier and thicker. They won't. They just won't. The way Apple gets battery life these days is a combination of power saving parts as technology advances and software improvements to kind of reduce the idle draw uh, and to and to get the get to get more into idle time. The the problem I have with with the modern battery life is which I've talked about to death, so I'm going to go over it very quickly now. Uh, is that we have not seen significant advancement in the the battery life of things that are under load, things that are like processors that are being used. If you're playing, you know, a game or you're using GPS or you're streaming music over the cell network through Bluetooth or something, where things are not going into low power states. Or if you're on a laptop, you're processing photos, you're you're compiling, you're doing you're you know you're doing hard work, you're you're making the computer work hard. We are not seeing big changes in the battery life under load uh we're seeing almost all the gains we've had in the last few years have been by stretching out idle time um but by by making it by making idle time more efficient and by making the cpus enter idle time more often so 
I want to see that that top end be raised also. And I just think that's not going to happen. I, I think it's very obvious that Apple is is content to mostly not address that and to instead address the bottom end because the bottom end can be addressed without bigger, thicker batteries. So um, I, I don't think it's going to happen. But I would like my, my plausible thing, my plausible wish list item on the iPhone 7 is to to somehow address the hand-holdability uh, and make it, make it more hand-holdable without a case. Because the, the iPhone 6 is the first one I've used with a case. I, before that, every previous iPhone I've used without a case because I just liked it. I, I don't like having to use a case. I like having an iPhone that just feels good enough and secure enough in my hand that I don't feel the need for a case. The 6 did not do that at all. It was way too slippery in both shape and finish. The 6S improved it a little bit in that it is still slippery in shape, but the finish was less slippery, the surface itself. I would like to see the 7 design hopefully address the the ability to handhold it in, in a way that feels secure and that is secure. Um, it, because the all the previous ones, I thought, were way more handholdable. The 6 design, I think, was is, is pretty rough in that way. I'm hoping the 7 will be better. Just the handholdability. The rest, the rest, I know is mostly not plausible. <laughs> but that that I want. I think you don't. You're not following my definition of plausible, as in able to be done in the physical world without any magic, without saying I want there to be five gigahertz CPUs. But anyway, um, for your grippability, you just need a foliage wall. They just need to put moss on the outside of it. <laughs> They're <laughs> testing that right now. Right now, the the iPhone foliage wall. Little, just a you know, it's like a chia pet. You just you water oh, it. They're going to use fuel cell technology to give Marco his increased battery life that he is afraid to ask for, um, and then it'll be like a chia pet because you'll fill it up with liquid, and that'll run the fuel cell, and the water vapor that comes out will will help the little hydroponic uh, moss grow, and it'll be really grippy. That would be awesome, and it'll be green. Yeah, literally. All right, uh, my next one, hand on heart, as written in my uh, field notes earlier today is increased battery life for the, for, <laughs> for the new iPhone. See, he has the, he has the guts to say it. He, it's, I, it's plausible. You can just put more battery in there. You just make right. it thicker. It's, it's straightforward, totally doable, could be done, you could say, and, and it would make you happy if it was done, and so there you go. Yeah, and I mean, maybe the answer is just don't make the next iPhone thinner because, to my memory, every single iPhone redesign has been just that little bit thinner than the last Maybe, you know what, Apple, you go really crazy and you just don't make it thinner this year and just add battery. They should make it thinner, but then have a lump on the back where the extra battery is. Because <laughs> <laughs> then they could say, look how much thinner it is. We made it so they could make it really thin and they just put it all in the lump. Like, oh, don't count the lump. We're not counting that in the thickness. No, I mean, like what this comes down to is that the thinness is not the main problem here. The main problem here is weight thinness is is the consequence of that like you're like they're not minimizing battery size to make it thinner they they want to make it thinner overall and they're they're trying to hit a weight goal and then the 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 size of the battery batteries are like the heaviest thing in there so the size of the battery is is what lets them you know if they can keep the battery small that keeps the weight down and then they can make the enclosure really small and thin around it so it's it, this is really about weight M- more than thinness by itself. You know, I I, I think thinness is, is a secondary consequence of reducing weight. So what, what we are, what we are really asking for, if we want bigger batteries, what we're asking for is to make the phones heavier, and I'm not, that's why I'm not sure they would do it. Didn't the iPhone six get heavier than the five S? 
Uh, I believe it did. I thought that was the 6S to versus 6 because of the um, 3D touch stuff. Yeah, but I just mean like when the, when the phone got bigger than, than the 4-inch the screen, you know. Well, but that's explainable even to a regular consumer because oh look, it's bigger, thus there's more stuff. I know, but it's just like it's, it's not it's not un it's not unprecedented to to go heavier. Anyway, the amount the amount of extra weight added by the batteries is minimal. But yeah, it's reversing a trend. Like they're making it thinner because they want it to be lighter. They want it to be lighter. You know, that's that's the direction they're going. But I, I still think for a list of plausible things that that could go on the list. All right, that was my last one, so I'm tapped out from here. I got two related ones. One, since we're talking about iPhone things, well, I don't even know if this is something that I really care about that much. I guess it gets more into prediction. I guess I kind of do care about it. Um, OLED screens and phones. There's rumors about that. Uh, And for for power efficiency reasons, and maybe because it will encourage more user interfaces that aren't all white, uh, and maybe because they can make it thinner and lighter. I don't don't know all the, the advantages of OLED, but I feel like LCD on phones... As a, as a power draw source and just, uh, you know, that technology, especially as they incorporate more and more things in there, like maybe they'll if they ever let you use the pencil with the phone or something. Uh, I would like to see Apple take the next leap with their iOS devices and start transitioning to OLED uh, everywhere because that seems to be the way things are going. Um, and my related item, actually getting off of Apple stuff for a change, is I want to see more non-curved OLED televisions that concentrate on picture quality. This year has been the year that OLED TVs become a thing that you can buy for a reasonable price. They're the new uh, picture quality king. A whole bunch of them are curved, but it's really early to be buying. Uh, Like, this is not the year to buy an OLED TV, unless you just want to buy it. Like I said, people ask for advice. Buy it with the idea that you're going to sell it, because it's like the people who bought the plasmas like the first or second year they were out. That's fine. You get to enjoy a fancy new TV, but assume you're going to sell it in a year or two because in a year or two or three, the ones that come out are going to be so much better than yours for so much less money that you just you're going to have to you know be resigned to to sell it and, and uh, trade up to a nicer model. But uh, I feel like next year is the year when OLEDs. Hopefully, they get rid of the stupid curve thing because I don't know who's buying these things with curves, who wants them with curves. I don't. There is no advantage to it. It's dumb. It needs to just go away. Um, yeah, flat OLED TVs, uh, that concentrate, concentrate on picture quality. Uh, cause a, a, a lot of the OLEDs now, or a lot of TVs in general, usually don't concentrate on picture quality. They concentrate on smart TV type features or, you know, some other G whiz thing, or they just want to say, this is the cheapest 4k TV you can get at this particular size. I want the ones that actually concentrate on picture quality. Um, not that I would particularly buy one, but, uh, I, I just, you know, I, I hate looking year after year at the TVs that are available and realizing I don't want any of these TVs and just praying that my poor partially burned in plasma just keeps working <laughs> until I can until someone makes a TV that I can replace it with. Ultimately, you can just wish that that burned in spot eventually wears out during 2016. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm doing pretty well. I looked at the Cartoon Network logo the other day and it's it has faded substantially. The Destiny HUD is still kind of faintly visible, <laughs> but... Yeah, the, the television logos, the channel logos are honestly worse than Destiny now. There's not much you can do about the, the channel logos except for tell these television stations because guess what? OLED burns in too. So please, television stations, make your logos transparent. Or maybe don't show them on the screen the entire show. I get it. I understand what network I'm watching. Put it on like for three seconds and when you come out of commercial break or, or not at all. That should be a feature. Like It should be like the luxury TV network. We never put our stupid <laughs> logo on your screen. 
That, that would be a luxury. Pay us extra money and we never show an ad. That is a luxury. That's why people like HBO. Hey, let's watch an HBO show. It just plays and there's no commercials in it. And there's no breaks for commercials. It just plays straight through. That is that is a a desirable experience. Who doesn't like that? Of course, you'd also like to get your television for free. So I understand advertising doesn't have to work. But for, for stations that, you know, I, I, it's a quality of life issue. For stations that are that have ads on them that just run plain old regular TV... They could advertise the fact that we never cover the screen with like a promo for an upcoming show. I guess they have to put the rating thing in there, you know, the TV, LSV, M, you know, whatever. I guess I watch shows with too many letters in them. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're all HBO shows. But, but I, you know, they have to put the little uh, the little logo up on the screen. I don't know if you guys know this because I don't know yes. if they're on iTunes. Anyway, they put that in the 4 by 3 you know, the, the, the frame, the 4 by 3 frame. Like they don't put it in the corner of the 16 by 9 screen. They put it so it would be visible if you were watching 16 by 9 content with the sides cut off so it's 4 by 3. And I, I think I, I was going through my pictures on my phone the other day and I had a good picture of when I was watching uh, Sons of Anarchy back when it was on and back when it was actually kind of not terrible. Um, where the logo, the, the, the TV, MA, LSV, whatever logo was dead center over an actor's face. Like, nice. like their, their, head was a gi- <laughs> their head was a gigantic square. It's like, seriously, like you you can't even, and it's not like you can move that out of the way. It's not like when you rewatch that later, that will be gone. That's it. That's, you're missing, you know, part of the show because of that. And the same thing when the, the promos for the upcoming shows come up. Anyway, um, yeah, I guess that's another bullet item. Television stations. It is within your power, both technically and policy-wise, to stop doing that. Stop, please. Stop doing that. I, I'll pay you extra money to not put your logo on the screen and to not interrupt my program with other things dancing across the bottom of my screen. All right, Marco. I mean, uh, my I think my my overall wrap up here for my topic list, my, the last thing I have on here really is for Apple to just show more focus. You know, focus has been I think the attribute that I've been missing the most in Apple's recent uh, launches because they they are just getting so much more broad. They're, they're they're addressing so many more kinds of products. The lines are bigger than ever. The services list is bigger than ever. Um, and I, I ha- it it does seem like their focus is not where it used to be. And so I would like to just see more focus. And maybe that means ending some product lines or ending some initiatives that haven't worked out, like you know all the various like kits on iOS. I think a lot of those have not quite worked out um just like you know just they've started so much a lot of it has has fallen flat maybe they should end some things and and, and actually increase their focus so we'll see what happens there I, i'm not really uh holding my breath on that one you may be saved because the car is not going to come out in 2016 so you can pretend they're getting <laughs> right. more focus then all of a sudden in 2018 or 19 guess what we make a car You're like oh apple what happened to the focus yeah mm. and you'll buy one of the cars too that'll be fun probably that'll be super fun but do I want that? Do I do I want a 1.0 Apple car? <laughs> Whether you want one or not doesn't. It, it may appear in your. Is the Tesla lease will be up by then? You'll be looking around. You'll be restless. Yeah, we'll see. It's gonna happen. We're already replacing your Tesla. Hasn't yeah. even arrived yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness! All right, uh, I told you I'm done. So, John, any anything else or any closing thoughts? No. The only other item I had on my list was like a vague one that I couldn't nail down. Was you know, there there are so many remaining bugs, so many sort of obvious bugs that not, not obvious in how to fix them, but obvious that something is not working correctly. And you always just hope that it's someone's job somewhere to fix those. And it's kind of 
I don't know if this one counts as this is vague and probably not really plausible because I don't know if Apple makes I don't know how much extra value Apple adds by fixing these type of bugs, but we all encounter them from time to time. And it just it just makes me wish like the only time I can, I can feel like this wish is not uh, fantastical or wishing for a pony is when like I know the developer who makes the application. It's like one person who makes an application and I know that if I report this bug, this one person will see that bug report and realize that they are embarrassed that this bug happens and they don't want their application to have this bug and that they'll fix it. And then within a month or two, it will be fixed. But that just doesn't happen with things that are made by Apple. If you find some small bug like that, that's just kind of embarrassing where like text overruns the bounding box that it's supposed to be in or clicking on this thing doesn't work until the second time you click it because of some event, you know, responder chain business or whatever. An individual developer who you know will want to fix that because it doesn't seem like a big deal and they're embarrassed that they have an application that you have to click a checkbox twice to make it, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a crasher, it's not a data loss bug, but they'll fix it. Kind of just individual pride and craftsmanship or whatever. And it depresses me that the larger the organization gets, the less hope you have that those type of bugs will ever get addressed unless you just happen to catch somebody on a good day when they don't have anything else to do you know, when they're not working on their P1s or whatever, that they just happen to go in and fix that. Because fixing that could cost some other problem. It could cascade into a thing that costs their multi-billion dollar company lots of money and reduces their customer sat. But an individual developer, they'll just fix it in their app. And I kind of like that, and I, I kind of miss that from, from Apple. But that's that's getting into... That's, that's why it's not on my list. It's too vague or whatever. Anyway, to, to sum up my list, I have a bunch of simple, concrete things that could totally happen uh that would make me happy um and by the way i think most of them if i had to predict will these things happen it's a pretty good shot for a lot of them so i think 2016 will be a good year for me holding out hope for the file system well maybe maybe not on that front (laughs) i I keep saying 2017 (laughs) not that good yeah oh goodness all right are we good are we good thanks a lot to our three sponsors this week backblaze casper and blue apron and we will see you next week Now the show is over They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter Follow them at C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S. So that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Armin, S-I-R-A-C, USA Syracuse. It's accidental. did it clearly you need to give much more specific instructions for marco and i i thought i was so specific i like it was concise and specific instructions and it just i don't know maybe i should have given more examples maybe i should have given more examples of what not to do i don't know this is where i get to wish for my uh my theoretical 17 inch 4k macbook pro that with skylight might be around five pounds 
Right. 17-inch 4K MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Think about it. It makes a lot of sense. I think you'd be better off wishing for a 17-inch iPad Pro with a keyboard that is more firmly attached. <laughs> and that'll be as fast as your as the Skylake MacBook Pro in like three or four years. Mm, yeah, no, I mean it, it, that's that's why it's a long shot stretch. I'm not even sure I would buy one. Yeah, would you use a 17 inch laptop? I don't know. I, well, it's like bigger than you are. Because <laughs> like like when you know I I'm not carrying my laptop every day. I I bring it on trips when I have to get work done. And whenever I do that, I am always starving for more screen space. You just screen share to your iMac at home. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's, it's all in your mind, man. <laughs> no, I mean, like, we have screen not seen... Screen space is just like your opinion, man. <laughs> I understood that You're using reference. a 5K iMac. You're using a bigger screen, but it's on a smaller screen, but it's bigger. <laughs> There's so God. many pixels, you won't notice the difference. No, I mean, like, it, you know, we have, everyone's like always, saw, oh, the 17-inch was this giant heavy aircraft carrier. And yes, the last time we saw one, it was. But now, like, the 17-inch, the I think last time we saw it was something like six pounds, right? Something like that. But, like, in at the same time, the 15-inch was like five or five and a half, while the 17-inch was like six or six and a half. So, you know, you can see, like, the ratio there, you know, it's not that much more than the 15-inch. Well, now, since then... The 15-inch has gotten way smaller and lighter with the Retina transition. With the Skylight transition, it's probably going to be even more so. So I'm guessing it would be possible with Skylake to make a 17-inch that had reasonable battery life that is roughly 5.5 pounds, um, and maybe even 5 pounds, depending on you know how, how thin they can, they can go with the battery without having it be too small. Um, so that is different. Like it, it puts a different spin on things. I mean, like with the Skylake thing... I bet we're going to see a lot more people saying, you know what, now that it's so much thinner and lighter, I might go 15-inch next time where I would have gone 13-inch before. You know, like, I think we'll, we'll start seeing people justify going bigger in the same way. Like, look, all the iPad people just discovered, you know what, after all, having a much bigger one is more productive. Look at that. Like, the same thing applies with computers, with laptops. Like, as they're going to get thinner and lighter... We're going to see a lot more people say, you know what? I was going to go Air, but now I'll go 13-inch Pro. I was going to go 13-inch Pro. Now I'm going to go 15-inch Pro because I, I felt one in the store, and it was so much lighter than I expected. And wow, all this extra screen space is really nice. I can get a lot more stuff done. Like, obviously, this is not news to people using computers, whereas it seems like it's news to iPad people. But, you know, that might happen now with the Mac line, where if they have a bigger one, you know what? That actually is pretty nice. So I don't know. Again... It's just a stretch, and I'm not even sure I would buy one, but uh, that would be really cool, I think. It's an opportunity for them to make up for the sins of the past and actually put a different keyboard on it than the one that's on the MacBook One. Right. Well, and that's the, the other thing, too. Like, I, I didn't mention the keyboards, but like, I would expect all the new Skylake MacBook Pros, uh, if they're going to be redesigned at all, which it sounds like they probably will be, I would expect them to get not the MacBook One keyboard, but the keyboard that's, that's in the new standalone Apple keyboard. The magic is it called the magic keyboard? Whatever it is, the, the new standalone keyboard. I'm guessing it gets at that one, which is not nearly as bad as as the MacBook One keyboard. It, it's you know it is it is in that style, but it is done I think way better. 
I don't mean like in a key travel. I mean as in more keys. Specifically, the 17 inch, you have so much more room to put keys. So put full size arrow keys and put you know all the home and end keys and page up and page down instead of taking. These, remember, this was one of my early. I, I reviewed like the that one of the non unibody uh, aluminum PowerBook G4s for Ars Technica and like that a series of screenshots showing the same keyboard is on the 12 inch the 15 inch and the 17 inch literally the same keyboard and, <laughs> yes. the, and, the, and you know on the 12 inch it goes edge to edge and on the 17 inch it's this vast sea of aluminum with this tiny little keyboard floating in it it's like bring you have so much more room add more keys please <laughs> uh i don't know i i assume they wouldn't which would be sad that like it's just this giant you know because the the you know as thin as you make it the aluminum area has to be the same as the size of the screen like you're not going to make the bottom smaller than the top and so you have you have this huge area with which to put keys and you just decide this this tiny little island in the middle the size of the macbook one it's the only area where you're allowed to have keys 